Oh, you're here. Hmm. I can see with my glasses. So, I think uh, it's really easy to get complicated. And you know what? I think we actually also love religion. I think we, 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 we talk about hating religion, but I think we love it. Because lo- religion is predictable. It's ruled by us. It's designed by us. It's controlled by us. And we live under that place of, if I do this, then God will be pleased with me. It's a really kind of sick relationship or a sick way of working. And so the good news is that it's actually a lie. It's, it, that's not what God wants. The, the problem is we're also stuck in this place where God wants relationship and we don't do relationship really well. So it's like, um, now what? And God just is actually somebody who says, I'm only going to relate to you as relationship. I'm not actually a control freak and I don't keep lists and I don't regard you by your performance because I've already decided that I love you and I actually have created you so my love for you is non-negotiable. So life is not about you impressing me. Life is about you understanding that you are deeply loved. And if you're deeply loved by a God who is revealed as a father, then there's nothing that he cannot be present for in your life. But we get so complicated and and we, we stop. There are lots of churches that stop with, have you made a decision for Jesus? Which is as ridiculous as saying, are you cons- you know, have you been born? You go, now what? And that's why the, the, world, the Western world is full of very, very immature Christians. Because the only thing that seems to matter is that they're called Christian. But their lifestyle and their maturity is pitiful. And so people who are not Christians look at Christians and say, well, if that's what God does for you, I'm not sure I'm, I'm any worse off. This is not a guilt trip, by the way. It's, it's actually, it's just about, because we know it in our hearts. I'm just stating the obvious. So that God is huge. God is, I love that phrase, Jesus is big country. God is huge. And so you sort of say, make a statement, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's just like tipping up at the threshold of Canada. You're crossing the border. It's like there's this whole vast expanse to discover. What happens if you cross the border and you don't know where to go? You ask a question. Can you help me? And I want to encourage you today to just go, what questions are you asking? Have you got a question? Or haven't you asked a question for years? What's your next question? Will it hurt? Where are you? First question in the Bible, where are you? Jesus apparently asked more than 100 questions. And God asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer. But it's easier, it's better to actually ask questions to, to facilitate relationship. So, we're going to look at this. Um, we've been talking about worship. And we're in this, this whole thing of, of knowing God and, and being known by God. And two weeks ago I talked about worship being like going to the Grand Canyon and you, you go, wow, because you see something that just evokes praise in you. And that's really what our walk with Jesus is meant to be about. It's something that grows, that evokes things in us. And if it doesn't evoke things in us, then there's a question. It's not about guilt. 
and I'm talking about asking questions this morning, I'm not talking about asking questions to defend my position. Because that is the most sad place to be. The beginning of freedom is recognizing that I'm on a journey that demands that I learn. And the worst thing I can do is defend the little bit of the journey I've covered as being the ultimate. And why would, you, why would I defend what I have when there's more? And I, the only thing I know for certain is I'm not right completely sometimes. The only thing I know for certain is that there's more. Paul said, I look through a glass darkly. And sometimes, you know, the further away you are from God, the more rigid you become in your beliefs. And the further you are away from God, the more opinionated you are about this is right. And the Christian church is full of that nonsense. Huge opinions about doctrines, but no presence. Huge opinions on theology, but no love. Huge opinions about how things should be. I mean, you go on the internet and there are people who sit in their basements trolling the internet to write hate mail to people. As if that's God's given them that. It's pitiful. So I want to pray that God releases in us this huge curiosity. And rather than defending things, we actually examine them. And we're open to say, well, I thought this now. This is what I believe now. That's what I like. This is what I believe now. But next week it might be different. That doesn't mean to say the core is different. It just means my understanding of what that means should, I hope, change. If you haven't had a a change in your thinking with God in the last six months, you're dead. Because God's always changing and there's huge amounts to explore. So there's good news and bad news. The good news is God loves you passionately and God is very, very in love with you. Imagine, imagine you, you have this kid that you love and you have this vast estate and the kid is living in this sort of five square feet. And you keep on wanting them to venture out but they're kind of all paranoid about venturing out. Because you've said, all I have is yours. You're my son. You're my beloved son. And all, they're kind of scared. What would you do with something like that? You'd want to pull them out of that. And that's what God wants. He's always got more. And you kind of build, we build our little houses and we build our little belief systems and then we get stuck there. And it's boring to us as well as everybody else. And God is so much more. And it's not complicated. Because you see, he's not saying you have to become something in order to get that. He just says, travel with me. What's the core, the deepest issue with human beings it's who is God what does that mean who's in control what does that mean whose life is it the, the very deepest human issue battle is who's in charge here it's worked out every decision you make everything you do is worked out that way And sometimes it's not God saying to us, you know, it's not me saying, can I trust you? God is actually saying, I need to work on you so I can trust you with what you're asking me to give you. That's why character is so important. There are two fundamental things about following Jesus. One is that he wants relationship, always, above everything else. Second is he always brings you into community. God is the most non-isolating person in the world. Satan is the isolating person. 
When you make decisions on your own and you live on your own and you do your journey on your own and you just say it's me and God, you can be sure that you're going to both be deceived and you're not going to, you're not going to go where God wants you to go. Because you can't develop character in isolation. You cannot develop character in isolation. And there's, a, there's also a word, I got it this morning where we're, um, as I was waking up, There's a, a lot of us are wanting to chase ministry, which are the gifts of the Spirit, and they're very good. And I think we should chase after them in one sense. But when I'm talking about character, there's a sense of if you want the gifts of the Spirit, you've got to eat the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is what nourishes the gifts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness is fruit. When you eat that fruit, which is which is actually in Jesus' pocket. So you've got to keep with Jesus because he feeds you that stuff. As you keep with Jesus, you get the fruit. When you eat the fruit, the ministry will flow out of that. And very often we're chasing the ministry. Jesus is over there, but we want the ministry and wonder why nothing's happening. It's because the relationship hasn't been nurtured and the fruit hasn't been eaten. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So all of it is about... Who do I keep company with? Who's in charge? If I believe in God, how's it working? And we can get incredibly complicated about this and say, well, I don't, just don't understand this. Some of us can shut down and just shut out big blanks of how God speaks to us just because we struggle a little bit. Reading the Bible or worshipping. God is actually wanting to speak to our hearts, not our heads. Your heart is, through, is, is, the, is, is the primary way that God will speak to you authentically. He will give you thoughts. I'm not saying I love the mind, but the mind is not where life change happens. Many of us have got hearts that are half closed. Some of us have minds that are closed. And all, so how does this work? This is so simple. It's ABC. I... When I was at, uh, Graham Cook is like a mentor. I would regard him as a mentor. That um, Bethel Church has been a mentor for the last eight years. Vineyard was a mentor for me. And I, mentors are people who are doing things that I want. And I don't know how to get there. So I go and hang out there and I read their stuff and I try and learn from them. I would love to have the personal sort of team, but I'd, that's not here. So I go after it. And we should all have that in some way. Some of us are readers, some of us aren't. But we should all be chasing after, in the, not chasing after God, because you don't have to, he's already found us. But it's about um, how can I go for more? And if I don't even want to know f- go for more, there's a question. Why? Everything has a question. To reveal truth, to reveal a state of rebellion or of misunderstanding or whatever. Every, every, every step to grow spiritually is hinged on a question. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Do you love me? Who do others say that I am? Follow me. Do you love me more than this? Lots of questions. We so often are in a culture where our questions are hostile. We don't want an answer. We just want to make a point. What about questions that enable us to learn? So what's God saying to you? What's the question that rises up in your heart? Why does it hurt? 
Whatever the question is, is a legitimate one. I love the phrase that says, you know, your next question is X marks the spot. In other words, if you want to know what God's saying to you, listen to the question. And then he says, if you dig into that question, you'll meet me. Don't be afraid. I love you. Lord, what do you want for my life? What's your question? And see what happens. The question will lead you into... uh, So what do you do with a question? You go and you talk to somebody. Questions need to be spoken out. What we do so often is we just internalize it or we go on the internet and we don't talk to anybody. You you, you come up here and you give a, a kind of... Take this the right way. Sort of superficial answer that you've worked out when God was actually wanting to go much deeper. So you don't have to ask that question again in three weeks' time. God is deep. He wants to bring about transformation so that you actually don't have to wrestle with that forever. That's what's so cool. So here we have a story that that illustrates this, um, which is in John chapter 3, where there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is one of the ruling class. He spent his whole life in Judaism. He spent his whole life learning about Judaism. He spent his life serving God as he understands him. And then he encounters Jesus. He sees Jesus from a distance. He begins to hear about what Jesus is doing. And this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is healing people. And the way maybe Nicodemus is still at the edge of the crowd and he's, and he's listened. And something in his heart and his mind go, I hate this, but I like what he's saying, but I don't understand it. And I hate it because there's something in him that attracts me, but I'm meant to actually kick him out. I hate the tension that's going on within me. Which is exactly what Jesus will do. If Jesus never offends us, if Jesus never causes us to go, what is this? We ha- we're not talking about Jesus. We're just talking about our shrink wrap Jesus. Jesus is big country. He's huge. How does God, the creator of the universe, talk to us? So when you first believe in God, when you first sort of come to say, God, I believe you might be real, it's like landing on a foreign country and learning a language. You don't know the language yet. You have to learn the language. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark and John writes a very descriptive way. He's very symbolic. So Nicodemus coming in the dark is symbolic of this religious leader coming in the dark because he's afraid and he also feels in the dark. But the dark that he felt he was in was actually his light, but it wasn't light, and he was coming to the light of the world. That's how John writes. There's all the symbolism. But Jesus welcomes Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is coming to Jesus because he's disturbed. He's witnessed the signs and wonders. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. We were not with him. One of the reasons why I believe God wants the church to be filled with healings and signs of his presence is exactly for that reason. To show people that he is supernatural, that he's powerful, that he loves, but he also has overcome evil, which is this root of all sickness and all brokenness. He wants to have a church that is filled with power and people who are not afraid of his power. 
There are a lot of people who have theologies and mindsets about God that are rooted in their fears and insecurities. So they make theologies about it. Then they start churches about it. Then they start movements about it. And their life is about anti-something rather than for something. It's really easy to do. They're more animated about what they don't like than they're about the God that they actually say they believe in. So, so tell me what's the God like? And they get Bible verses and said, that's really exciting. God's totally relational. Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus because he was quoting scripture. He came to Jesus because he was living it. And he saw in Jesus, he said, you teach and then you do things that we don't have the power to do. And the thing that was amazing about Nicodemus, he was honest enough to go, I've come about as far as I can come with what I know. So whether it's dark or not, he makes his way to Jesus in Jerusalem. And I was in Jerusalem in the dark, visiting a a Palestinian family, and it is dark in Jerusalem. I mean, there's black. They said, we'll see you out to the wall. I said, oh, it's okay. And then when I went outside, I said, yes, please. You can't see anything because there's still no lights in some parts of Jerusalem. The Palestinian parts, the Jewish parts have lights, of course. So Nicodemus comes and he asks a question. And he says, this is what I see. How does this work? And Jesus replies, um, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So I've got, for a change, I've got seven lessons to learn. And I'm not going to go through them long, in a long way, I hope. So I'm going to try and speed it up. But I've just got, I, I never do this usually, you know, seven things. But this, this encounter with Nicodemus is like prayer. You see, prayer, when we talk about prayer and fasting, prayer is not about talking to God out there because God's not out there. He's in here. So prayer is meant to be having a conversation with God. So how do you start your conversation with God like you start with anybody else? How are you doing? What's going on? It's really boring from God's perspective to have people talking to him but they don't actually ever listen. And they talk out of anxiety and need. I mean, how do those relationships work on earth? Relationships that are, 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 are leaning towards always being need-based. Every time you see somebody, they just tell you what they want or what's wrong. How long do those relationships last? Not long. You're not saying, oh, I can't wait to see them again because all I'm going to get is more stuff. I mean, it would be nice if they said, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? So when you pray, it's God talking to you. So prayer, our prayer and fasting is really saying, Lord, what are you saying to Jericho Road? You're here. We just want to give you some time. What are you saying to us right now? And what he, I mean, you know what he's going to say. He's going to say, I love you. I'm really glad you've put this time aside. And I don't know what else he's saying. That's why we're going to wait. He just asked questions. And Nicodemus asked a question. And what did Jesus re- reply? He didn't say, you Pharisee, Nick, get out of here. You coward, you're coming at night. He didn't. He, he, he loved him because Nicodemus was coming to him to ask. And that's all God lo- desires. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. The language of the kingdom of God is ask, seek, and knock. Ask what? Ask questions. Seek what? Seek what you don't have. 
knock. Knock on doors that seem to be closed and they they might open. It's all about not being passive. But I don't know enough. You don't need to know anything. Nicodemus knew stuff, but you don't have to know anything. You just have to know what's in you. So what's the first question? God, are you there? Do you love me? Do you care? I don't know what your questions are, but every one of them is quite valid. You see, the bad news, the good news is God loves you and adores you. What's the bad news? You're responsible for your own growth. That's the bad news. The bad news is that we've got to stop asking God to do things in us so we don't have to do anything. One of the reasons why we get so stuck, how many of you have done a course at North Island College? Quite a few of us, or somewhere else. Does North Island College come and wake you up in the morning, you know, brush your teeth for you, make sure that you're there on time? Would you actually have to drive there yourself, get yourself there, turn up at the lecture theatre, do the notes, do the work? How does it work? You've got to take responsibility for something, I think. The same is true with God. There's only so much he can do, and then he says, over to you. And sometimes we're praying to avoid doing. Sometimes we're, we're doing religious things to avoid actually paying attention to what he's saying to us. God loves you more than you love your children. So everything he's saying it comes out of that heart with that tone. And so for some of us, we're asking him for things. And he said, I talked to you about that about two years ago. You're still not listening to me because you don't believe I have the best for you. So the only way to have good conversations with God, with Jesus, is to continually grow in understanding the depth of his love. That he's good. He's kind. He's nicer than you are. He likes you more than you like yourself. You, he holds you in his heart. His ways are not your ways. So in your relationship with him, it's good to give him the initiative. Now, how do you give him the initiative? You ask questions. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Who do we go to? We go to people around us who might know more than we do. You see, in conversing and talking, you work things out and God speaks. Sometimes we're sitting in a room saying, oh, God, speak, and we're thinking of the washing and the dress list and what we're going to do tomorrow. And God's saying, I want you to speak to flesh. I want you to speak to somebody else because I will speak through them to you. I'm working on your character. I'm working on keeping it simple. Does that make sense? Not. So the first thing is the, 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 the imagine signs and wonders that uh, God, God will attract us to. Second one is he's willing to be talked to. And when he speaks to Nicodemus, he says, uh, no, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Let me read you this about Nicodemus' background. Or the, the th- In those days, a Gentile could only become a Jew through a ritual that was called new birth. First, there was a long and tedious inter- indoctrination by Jewish teachers Then there was a public meeting where the Gentiles renounced his former citizenship and pledged allegiance to Israel and the God of Israel. Finally, after the ruling council's approval, the candidate was baptized by immersion into the nation of Israel. His past was believed to be washed away, never to be mentioned again. Eight days later, the painful ritual of circumcision was was administered to males. Then the convert's Jewish name and date of rebirth, baptism, was entered on the rolls of Israel. 
Therefore, the convert was regarded as a descendant of Abraham. Thereafter, the convert was regarded as a descendant of Abraham with all the rights of citizenship. In other words, Jesus was taking something that Nicodemus was really familiar with, which was how a Gentile became a Jew. And he said, you cannot get conversation that you want with me without actually having a baptism in the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to live in you. That's what's actually enabling me to be who you're so impressed with. So you can never understand God by trying to just apply your mind. You can understand God by recognizing the limitation of your heart and mind and beginning to say, God, will you infuse my spirit with your spirit? Will you, will you give me a spiritual birth? Which is when I begin to say yes to Jesus, that's what's happening. I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to take my sin on the cross, which is my rebellion of, of trying to be God myself. And I ask him to fill me with his spirit so I can begin to see life as he created me to see it. So now I'm living as if I were born again because now his spirit is living in me. It's not just me, it's him and me. And the rest of my life is exploring that. We've got a problem in here, haven't we? It's hot. Can you open the doors, please? Because uh, it's stuffy in here. I know I'm boring, but... No, but this is, it's, there's no airflow in this place at all. So let's just have some doors open. I'm nearly finished. Thank you. Eh? Okay. So we need to ask questions to understand. And Jesus' language to Nicodemus is all about the spirit and the wind. The flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. You can read it in John, John 3. All I'm trying to say is sometimes our questions are basic questions like, what does this mean? So it's a good question. Who is this Jesus? Why do you believe in him? It's a good question. How can I know that he speaks to me? Whatever the question is, is, is a good question. If you take responsibility for your journey with God, Whatever the next question is, some of us are stuck on a question that hasn't been answered for years. And underneath that question is a rebellion that says, I don't actually want the answer. But the only reason you don't want the answer is, is your revelation of the nature of God is deficient. You think that God is going to be negative and you think that God is going to destroy something. That's fine. You've got to start somewhere. There's a reason for you thinking that. So ask why. Why do you think that? Go and talk to somebody. Come and talk to okay, Why do you think that? Probably go back to your own childhood and go back to your family of origin. Most of this stuff does. We have to unlearn some of the lessons we've learned on earth so we can receive some of the lessons from heaven. Just normal. On earth we take an eraser and we mistake. Well, the spiritual is you take an eraser and mistake. It wasn't like that. Well, this is my fear. He might be. Fair enough. Let's have a look and see what's the basis of your, your, your evidence. Why do you believe that? Well, I can never trust my father. Well, grief. Do you want to spend your whole life chained to that belief? Many people do. That's not an accusation. Jesus came to break the chains. He says you don't have to be. You will never find these things out without asking questions and finding answers. And God in Jesus says, I love questions. And this church, as far as I'm concerned, loves questions. 
But more than loving questions, it's finding answers. So what's your next question? What happens in this conversation? Quickly. Nicodemus has to come somewhere. He comes in the dark. He has this conversation rather nervously. He ends up in a conversation he doesn't really understand. Jesus kind of smiles and says, you're so educated, but you can't understand a Samuel Galilean. What's in this question? What's, it, what's in this passage? There are three questions. What's the, what's the encouragement? You come with one. You don't understand the answer. Ask another question. There, there's no limit to the question. Keep asking questions till you get clarity. In business, there's an exercise called the five whys. And you drill down through five... I won't bore you with the details, but it's a, it's a way of drilling down to the essence of something. You just keep asking why. But you ask in order to learn. And my prayer is that we become a much more curious people. A much more curious people. You could accelerate your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity by asking questions with a desire to, uh, to find the answer. I promise you, every answer from God will be good. Every answer from God will be good. It will never disappoint you. It will never um, shame you. It will never belittle you. It will never um, laugh at you. It will always pull you up into a better place. But you'll never arrive. Because every time you get onto one hill, you'll see, a oh my word, Jesus is big country. There's more. And there's also quite a lot of me still dragging up this hill. And that's called a journey of a lifetime. So, how can this be is a good question. You hang out with God, you're going to be asking that a lot. How can this be? As opposed to, I don't believe that stuff. Well, you've just actually said the creed. You've said you believe that God created the world, you believe in the virgin birth, that he impregnated a girl without sex. I mean, you say you believe a lot of stuff, that Jesus did miracles. I mean, all of that stuff. And then when it comes to you, anything unbelievable, you go, oh, no, I don't know about that. If we believe in the God we profess to believe, he must be able to do some stuff. That's unbelievable. I don't know. But God does. We're done. something I was going to read to you. Jesus asked well over a hundred questions in the Gospels, yet he only gave what received direct answers to a few of them. He obviously wasn't asking his questions to determine comprehension, but to provoke listeners to think for themselves. Even when he inquired of his disciples, who do people say that I am? He didn't correct the wrong answers they initially gave. He simply waited. Then he asked them to think for themselves. Who do you say that I am? God does not, check, does not use questions to check our comprehension. He uses them as tools to provoke our thinking and embark on a continuing path of discovery. 
The verbs used in Matthew 7, 7 are progressive. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why? Is God trying to be elusive? No, he desires for us to enter into a process, not a program. He wants a relational conversation that continues to expand, going wider, higher and deeper as we travel with him. If you want to enter into a greater experience of worship, ask questions. Because the more revelation of God and Jesus you have, the more you'll go, wow, you're amazing. I didn't even see it. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you for the invitation you give us to, to walk with you. Thank you that you're not complicated. Thank you that you're not a God who demands that we speak another language. You just say, come to me. And I want to speak today, I want to pray today, Father, that you just break chains of unbelief in us. We might call them traditions. We might call them pet theories. We might call whatever they are, anything that gets in the way of our relationship with you because it's not what we're used to. We just ask you to take it from us. And we pray for curious minds. And I pray that you release uh, among us a, a spirit of hunger and thirst for you. You know, one of the things I heard this weekend was the tendency in the church right now for everybody to want another prophetic word and to come up for an impartation and come up for, for this and for that. And, and, and the, the response was, you know, God does not do magic. And so you come up and you get prayed for and you say nothing's changed. That's because he's partnering with you and he wants you to follow through and he wants you to walk it out and he wants you to work it out with those he's put around you. If you want magic, you go to the occult and the demonic because they will do things just like that, but they will hook you so deeply that you will never live again. So God is not interested in the outcomes so much as the relational walk. Eat his fruit and see what happens, what flows out of it. So what is the Father wanting to give you today? What is the question you have? What is the hunger in your heart? What is the worry? If you have a negative in you, he wants to give you the positive. If you have a lack of peace, he wants to give you peace. He wants you to eat of the fruit of peace. I am with you. I will never leave you. My peace is for you. So receive his peace. If you feel down and you feel overcome by your, your, your circumstances, he wants to give you joy. He says, let my joy rise up in you so that you will be able to know joy in the midst of circumstances that would otherwise crush you. Why? Because I am God and I have overcome the world. But it doesn't feel like that, Lord. That's because you're living in yourself, not in me. You need a supernatural awakening, a supernatural infusion of God's Spirit to produce in you the things that the body relies on the world to give. That's why the early Christians could die with joy on their hearts when they were being fed to the lions. So, Father, ask your Holy Spirit 
to do in us what we cannot do naturally. What do you want from Him today? Ask Him. He's got lots of fruit this morning. There's a big fruit basket. He's, he's passing it around. He says, what is the fruit of my spirit? You can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, perseverance. There are lots of fruits. You can make them up as long as they're positive. He says, what would you like? You can take more than one if you want. What would you like? Receive it. Receive it and put it in your spirit. Thank you, Jesus.